grace and peace in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. morning. Welcome to worship at North Decatur Presbyterian Church. On this uh, Sunday morning, we gather on this Sabbath day to be together as we have been doing in this place for over 60 years. So it's good to be with you all this morning. We want to extend a special welcome to people who are uh, wandering in today who have maybe never been here before. Uh, We want to welcome people who are visiting with us this morning. Uh, Some of you might have even uh, brought visitors with you, uh, and maybe you want to introduce them to us. So I want to just take a minute at the beginning of service. We're just just too small a church to stay anonymous. So so if you are here and visiting, if you wouldn't mind, or you brought a visitor, uh, introduce yourselves or your visitors. Corey, it's nice to meet you. Welcome, glad you're with us this morning. Uh, Anyone else want to say hello who's visiting today? You could even just wave kind of like this or like this. There's a wave in the back there, about three rows from the back, and a few waves over on the side and some artful waves. Well, good morning. Well, I hope all of you feel welcome. Uh, We'd like to uh, ask those of you who are on the center aisle to begin the fellowship pad moving down the aisle. And uh, if you uh, are a regular or are a, um, a new visitor and want to receive the newsletter, uh, please uh, leave your email address in a legible way and we will be glad to send it to you. It doesn't cost you a thing. Uh, just clogs up your inbox. Um, okay, so uh, a couple announcements by way of things that are going on in the life of the church. Please uh, refer to the insert. There are always opportunities. We're always inviting you to, to uh, step into the life of the congregation, whether it be through the fellowship Uh, the times that we spend together, the mission and service that we do, uh, especially noting this week the learning opportunities that are available. We are a learning community, uh, always teaching and learning and sharing uh, knowledge of God and the world together. So uh, uh, welcome back to the education year. Uh, How many of you were able to get to a class this morning? Raise your hand. Uh, How many of you had a good experience? Say yay! take that as a good thing, right? That's pretty good. Uh, So um, the classes have begun at 9.30. You're always welcome. Uh, You can see uh, online or in the communicator for the course descriptions uh, and for children are beginning as well. We're really delighted. Tuesday night Bible study happening this week, uh, six to seven in the co-pastor's study. All are welcome. Another learning opportunity. Also Tuesday evening, uh, Abel is meeting in this place. If you have never been, why not this Tuesday? Uh, 7 to 8.30 p.m. Uh, the work of dismantling structural racism uh, requires you to show up. You cannot do it, right? Uh, remotely or anonymously, you have to be physically present, offer your time and your talents. Uh, that's what ABLE is about. Uh, it's a, um, a lot of congregations and people from all across the city of Atlanta from different backgrounds who are gathering to dismantle the apparatus of structural racism. So Tuesday night, it meets right here, uh, 7 to 8.30 p.m. Other things that are going on this week, please uh, see the newsletter. Are there any other announcements that need to be made this morning? I want to make sure that for those, uh, as our choir stands, make sure that for those of you who were not here last week, Sarah, would you stand up again? Uh, We introduced Sarah last week, but I know not of all you were able to be here, but Sarah Smith uh, is... Not a third year, but a fourth year student at Columbia Theological Seminary, uh, doing uh, some amazing work uh, there. She's an Atlantan uh, by, uh, by birth and by upbringing, uh, so she's native to these parts. 
uh, but she is new here. She's gonna be doing a semester-long internship with us. Uh, she's really focusing her energy on pastoral care. Uh, so she's gonna be working a lot with uh, Reverend Mary Anona Stoops and uh, with, our, um, with our whole staff team. Uh, and so you'll get to uh, experience her as a worship leader this morning, but we certainly wanna invite you to come up and uh, say hello to her and make her feel uh, welcome and at home as she serves here among us. Uh, Sarah, welcome uh, to North Decatur. We continue this week asking who is Jesus and what does Jesus mean for our lives and for the life of the world. Let us worship God. Please rise and body your spirit for the call to worship. When I am among the trees, especially the willows and the honey, honey locust, equally the beech, the oaks, and the pines, they give off such hints of gladness. I would almost say they save me and they. I am so distant from the hope of myself in which I have goodness and discernment, and never hurry through the world. Walk slowly and bow often. Around me the trees stir in their leaves and call out, stay a while. The light flows in their branches, and they call again. It's simple, they say, and you too have come into the world to do this, to go easy, to be filled with light, and to shine.
the oldest prayers, the oldest known prayers in the Christian tradition is called the Jesus Prayer, and it uh, has a number of different translations, but one of the simplest is the prayer that we'll pray today, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. It is a prayer that is meant to be prayed over and over again, to be repeated almost like a mantra. When we pray it in silence, it is often prayed as one, uh, one phrase on the inhale and the second on the exhale. And so you can pray it just over and over and over, and it is a way of doing what the Apostle Paul called praying without ceasing. We're going to pray this prayer this morning. And we're going to begin out loud in one voice. And I, I need to remind you, you, you can't speak something and be, pray, and be inhaling at the same time. So that inhaling is for the time, the silent time. But we, we speak the first verse and take a brief pause and then say the second part of the phrase, have mercy on us. And so as we begin out loud, every time we speak it today, we'll get just a bit... Softer and softer and softer until we are still praying the prayer, but we're praying it together in silence. We want to invite into our bodies and into our community, into the space, the healing and the kind and the restorative and the loving presence of Jesus, who is the Christ. So find a place with your feet on the floor. And let us pray using these ancient words. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. you rise for the assurance of grace. Hear the good news. Who is in the position to condemn? Only Christ, and Christ died for us. 
Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life has gone, a new life has begun. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven, loved, and free. Peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. children are invited to come and find a rug that looks like it's comfortable and find a spot on the floor that you can call your own and park yourself on the rug and face up in this direction so you might open your eyes and your ears to hear this morning and not just your eyes and your ears we also listen we also listen with our hearts we listen with our hearts which means we 
Open our spirit, our being, to the reading from the Bible, that we might hear something that will help us, uh, give us life. So we listen with our ears, and we listen with our eyes by seeing. We also listen with our hearts. We're going to sing the prayer for illumination that's printed in your bulletin. Let's pray this prayer together in song. Christian religion is what happened after Jesus died. What happened after Jesus died? I want to read a passage to you from a man named Paul, and this was a letter in which he was talking not only about what he thought happened, but how the whole community that he was a part of remembered that time. So listen, open your ears and open your hearts. Paul says this, I remind you, my brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaimed to you, which you received and in which you stand, through which you are being saved. This good news is saving you, he says, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaimed to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you this thing of first importance that I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day also in accordance with the scriptures, and that Christ appeared to Peter, and then appeared to the twelve disciples, and then Christ appeared to more than 500 sisters and brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, or at least they were still alive when Paul was writing this. Then Christ appeared to James, and then to all of the apostles. And then, last of all, he appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, Paul writes. I'm even unfit to be called an apostle, because I used to persecute the church of God. But by the grace of God, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And God's grace to me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. 
whether it was I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have come to believe. Now, now Paul says, if Christ is proclaimed as one who is raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain. And our faith has been in vain. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Turn your eyes and your ears to Amanda this morning. Good morning.
Who was Jesus? And what does Jesus mean? We divided those question, or this one question, into these two distinct parts. And last week, if you were here, we talked about the who was Jesus part of the question. We talked about the Jesus that we know through the tools and the disciplines of history. Thanks to scholars over the last 200 years, we have come to have to receive this really very reliable sketch of who the person of Jesus was. We know that he was Jewish. We know that he was raised in a Jewish family and and in a Jewish culture, and that he came to know God as understood through the Hebrew scriptures. We know that Jesus was born and raised in Roman-occupied Palestine. We know that he was shaped by the dehumanizing, authoritarian rule of Rome, by the exploitative structures of taxation and the economic structures that shaped Jesus. They, They shaped his view of the world and how things fit together and how things worked. We know that Jesus was a wandering teacher, one of many. We know that people believed that he could cure the sick and cast out bad spirits. We believe that Jesus was a beloved teacher, that he gained a following, especially among those who were rendered poor and desperate by the circumstances of life. And we know that Jesus was killed as an agitator and a revolutionary. This is a good sketch. It's sturdy, it's trustworthy of who the person of Jesus was. But the question that always circles around Jesus is, was he just that? Was he just a teacher? Was he just a healer? Just an exerciser of evil spirits? Or just a political revolutionary? And I say just with a, with a grain of salt, because even if that's all that he were, Jesus would still be a remarkable human person, right? One that a lot of us would find worthy of studying and even emulating. But of course we have to ask, was there more? We ask because ever since Jesus was killed, some people have said that there was something more to him. The tradition that has been handed on to us, some of which we hear in the Apostle Paul's writing, says that after Jesus died, he showed himself as alive. To those who saw this, Jesus the person became the incarnation of the creator of the universe, God in human flesh. There's nothing that we have today. There is no evidence that tells us exactly what happened in those days after Jesus' death. There are no non-biblical accounts that will confirm Jesus rose from the dead. The only accounts that we have, of course, are contained in Gospels, each of them written 50 or 70 years after the events they describe, and all of them written by people who, as we will see in a moment, had a lot invested in Jesus being the Christ. They're not unbiased accounts. Each of the four canonical Gospels that you have in that book that I hope you pick up and read every once in a while, each of the 
Each of the stories of Jesus' resurrection appearance appears a little differently, and the differences are major, not minor. Read Mark, right? And all Mark says is that there was no tomb in the, bo- in the no body in the tomb. But that's it. There's no resurrection appearance at all in Mark. Read Matthew and Luke and John. And each of them says that the risen Christ did appear to the disciples, but none of them can agree on the details. Matthew says that Christ showed up and everyone followed him up on a mountain and there they worshipped while some doubted. Luke has that amazing story of the, the road to Emmaus where two disciples, probably a male and female, are walking along and a a man comes walking up next to him and eventually they share a meal and their eyes are opened and as soon as they see the risen Christ, he disappears. And John has all kinds of wonderful stories. Jesus appears, the risen Christ appears behind the locked doors and and invites them to, to put their hands in the wounds of his body and then sits and eats a piece of grilled fish on the beach in the morning. There's no common vision of what exactly happened in those days after Jesus died, but all of the Gospels are quite certain that something happened. And that something was that Jesus, after he died, showed himself as being alive. We could fill this room from floor to ceiling with things that have been written trying to to describe or define what it means that Jesus showed himself as being alive. Some people say that Jesus' body rose up from its bed and and, and cast off the shroud. And if there would have been video cameras there, they would have caught the action as in real life. That that there was a body that came out of the tomb and, and just like yours or mine appeared to the disciples. Some say that's the only way that we can believe that any of this is true. That if there was an actual resurrected body. But then again... The scriptures aren't clear what a resurrected body is. So some people have said that that it's not necessary to believe that a literal body uh, rose up in order to have a real and a life-changing experience of a resurrected Christ. In the same way that those, those disciples on the road to Emmaus saw something that disappeared from their eyes. Maybe in the same way those early disciples had a a vision, a sense of a presence that wasn't exactly physical, but was every bit as real. I have no idea what happened. But whatever it was, however it was that Jesus appeared after death, this much is clear. It was such a powerful, Such a galvanizing and inspiring reality that that the community of Jesus' disciples, that community of people like you and me who had fled for their lives in terror, did the most unimaginable thing. They continued to meet together. Even in the face of, of, of the threat of their own death by, by gruesome, by the most gruesome means, 
They continued to meet together. They kept meeting, and soon their meetings turned into worship gatherings. They oriented their lives toward a vision of God that they now understood through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. They told stories about Jesus. They ate meals together and they remembered Jesus. And they held funerals for each other when they died and they, they proclaimed that the same loving power that raised Jesus from death raises us from death into life. Also, mysteriously and intriguingly, after Jesus' death, Jesus' followers came from all walks of life. There were those who were poor. They'd been around since the beginning, but there were also those who were rich, those who were Jews by birth, and those who were Gentiles, men and women, people who were enslaved, people who were slave owners, all of them drawn into these illegal communities where they remembered Jesus as one who lived and taught and healed and fed and died and lived again. And they tried to enact that same pattern in their own lives, and they did so, they claimed, by the power of Jesus' presence. However that presence came to them. They had names. Jesus became Lord, Son of God, both both fingers jabbed in the eye of the Roman emperor, who was the only one who could claim those titles. And they also began to call Jesus Christ, from the Greek, Christos, which means the anointed one, the long-hoped-for Messiah, the divinely appointed king and liberator called for by the Hebrew scriptures. For those who were closest to Jesus during his life, when they looked at the events of his death, his excruciating and humiliating death, those who were closest to him began remembering that death, but they didn't remember it as a tragedy. They didn't remember it as an act of martyrdom on behalf of a larger cause. They looked back at the death and they remembered Jesus' death as a kind of a victory. It was like a door that swung open and behind it, it revealed an entirely new world. And they stepped through into that world, and what they saw there provided them some ground, some, some ground for hope that there was nothing in life that was unendurable. They found behind that door that there is no kind of suffering in which God is not present there. They found, they found 
And it became clear to them that, that because of, of what they experienced, whatever it was that they saw of this risen Christ, that there was no part of creation, not our past, not the present, not even the future, that was not being permeated by the risen life of God in this Jesus Christ. The risk these people took is unimaginable to us. To risk your life, to risk your status, your identity, to risk the well-being of your family in order to join a movement of people worshiping a crucified man? I don't know what they saw, but they must have seen something. It's 2,000 years later. And no one cares whether you go to church or not. No one here has a life that's at stake for showing up in this place on a Sunday. The stakes are very much different for us. I wonder, I always have wondered that in the church's unending effort, in our ceaseless effort to try to make sense of what it was that happened, in, in order to try to make it intelligible to the regular old mind, that whatever happened to Jesus 2,000 years ago, we've made its meaning much too small. We've turned it into a transaction that, that forgives individual sins. Or, or, or something that punches a ticket to an otherworldly heaven, or a simple testimony about the power of love over other virtues. None of those things is wrong. But it seems to me that the early witnesses found in a vision of the resurrected Jesus something more elemental than individual forgiveness or the exaltation of love. They found in the resurrected Jesus the power to defeat any and all evil. In this life after death, in this life in spite of death, in this life through death, in this visible risen Christ, they found the power to defeat the evil of authoritarian political structures that will try to ground their power in violence and intimidation. They found that power, and that power is ours too. Those early witnesses found in this risen Christ the power to defeat the evil of economic systems that would enrich some and exploit others, and that power is ours, too. They found in this vision, whatever it was, this vision of the resurrected Jesus, they found the power to defeat the evil practices embedded in our cultural traditions that dehumanize some and exclude others. That power is ours, too. Those first witnesses 
found in the resurrected Jesus, the power to defeat that ever pernicious lie that any of us is more valuable than any other. And the lie that any of us are anything less than beloved children of God. In the life of Jesus, and in the death of Jesus, and in the something else, whatever it was, those early women and men found a power that could defeat any force that would oppose the original goodness of God's creation, even death itself. I have no idea what they saw. But it was clearly a door that swung open and revealed a new world. And when they stepped through the door, they found in that world evil had no power and death had no sting. And by the will of God, and by the mysterious work of God, the door is still open. So look through. What do you see? Or put the question another way. Who do you say? that I am.
may be seated. And let us pray. God of new beginnings and fresh breaths of air, in you we find the breath that fills our lungs and our lives daily. We give you thanks for times to slow down and be reminded of the many blessings you have filled our lives with. We thank you for our communities who nourish us and walk alongside us. We thank you for cooler mornings and evenings that remind us of change of seasons. We thank you for the rain which brings new life to plants and refreshes us all. Thank you for the times to slow down and notice the change of leaves and the new colors that are painted across your creation. We are thankful for times to come together and learn, learn more about you and your son, Jesus Christ. We are thankful for the many people who are teaching us about your son so that we might continue to learn who Jesus is. For what else are we thankful? While we have so many things to be thankful for, we also bring before you our concerns. We pray for the world, especially for all the places that are war-torn, including Israel, Israel, Syria, and Palestine. Protect the people who are living in those countries. Help them to find security and safety for themselves and their families. We pray also for refugees as they seek to find a safe place to live. Guide them, protect them as they make their way to new places. For what else do we pray for in the world? We pray for our country, especially during this political season. Help us to continue to listen with open ears and remind us that we are all a part of the same body and above all are called to love each other unconditionally. We pray for those in Alabama as they clean up and deal with the busted pipeline. Be with the leaders as they sort out ways to help, help up and clean those affected areas. For what else do we pray for in this country? We pray for those who are part of our closer community. We pray for those who are dealing with sicknesses, battling illnesses, or recovering, including Penny, Francis, Joan, William, and Frank. We pray for those who are mourning the loss of a loved one. Surround them with your love and comfort them as they grieve their loss. 
uphold them and remind them, especially now, that you are right here walking alongside them in this time. We pray for those who do not know where their next meals will come from or do not know where they will find shelter. Hold them close and open up people's hearts to serve Jesus by taking care of these people. For who and what else do we pray for in our communities? Remind us in all things that you are never far away, and then when we are looking at how best to serve you, we can look at your son, Jesus, and follow what he has taught us. And now we join our voices together saying the prayer that Jesus taught us to say, saying, Our Father and Mother in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Mentors, uh, Reverend Dr. Arthur Caliandro, um, used to say in sermons all the time, there are two questions that really matter. One is, what did you do with what you were given? And the second question is, how well did you love? So I invite you, as we make our offerings this week, to rededicate yourself to those two fundamental questions. What will you do this week with all that you have been given? How will you use it? Where will you go? What will you do? And then how will you use your energy to love and serve others? We offer our lives to the one who has given us everything that we have and everything that we are. We make our morning's offering.
don't know what they saw, but we know what they received, and what they received is what they handed on to us. It is a power to defeat any and all forms of evil, anything that would stand in the way of the flourishing of God's good creation. Friends, may that power be yours today, tonight, tomorrow, and forever. May the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the communion of the Spirit be with you always. Let the people say, Amen. Amen.